and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're going to be talking about spray coverage, and we get so many questions about weed control and about the different traits that are out there and some of the new products that we can use and how to make products that have been out for a while work even better. Spray coverage is really a key with many of these things. We're going to talk today about some of the things you can do to improve your spray coverage and just how important this is. We'll also be taking your calls and questions throughout the show today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can email us radio at agphd.com and we have got a bunch of emails that have come in today. Really excited to get into some of those questions during the Ag, Ag PhD mailbag here in just a little bit. And of course, you can find us on Twitter as well, Ag PhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Okay, so with this topic of spray coverage, I just wanted to start this off. It is so important with a lot of the products that we use. And I really feel like, as an agronomist for 30 years now, I've looked at a lot of fields where people were unhappy. Weed control, insect control, disease control, whatever it was didn't work like they expected. And there are quite a few times where it actually does come down to spray coverage. Let me just give you an example. Fungicides. These are the worst. Okay, so when we talk about coverage, it it goes in this order. Fungicides, what I'm most concerned about, then herbicide, then insecticide. Here's why. With fungicides, they move typically in the xylem of the plant. So there are two transport systems in plants. There's the xylem and the phloem. And before you fall asleep on me, because I know I know this this biology stuff is uh, not super exciting, but I, I, there are only two transport systems. Okay, the phloem moves down and up. So, for example, if you spray Roundup on a plant and you just hit the top leaves, it's no big deal. The plant pulls that stuff in. It moves in the phloem, so it can move down. Then it can move back up. It'll move to the growing points. You kill the weed, or at least you hope you do. Okay, then. If you look at fungicides, they only move in the xylem, and the xylem only moves up. So literally, if you were to spray half a leaf, if you spray the top half of the leaf, because the xylem only moves up, there's no way for it to move down, the bottom half of the leaf will be untreated. It will, it can still get disease, even though the top half of the leaf got sprayed. So that's how important fungicide spray coverage is. On our own farm... We have been fighting sclerotinia white mold, and you might be fighting this too on your farm. We've been fighting sclerotinia white mold here for the last few years. So uh, I know Darren's talked to me about this, and I know another agronomist had talked to me about this, that like, Brian, if we could just figure out how to get coverage on the lower leaves of the plant, then we'd be in a lot better shape. So we're working with a sprayer company to develop a basically a thing that will hang down and shoot sideways so we can get coverage way down even on the bottom leaves of the plant. And I'm excited about that because now we should have coverage on the, the lower leaves of the plant. We should have coverage on the lower halves of leaves and we will be able to cover every leaf. That's the whole problem we have today with going out and spraying, especially in halfway's good-sized crop, how do you get good coverage way down into that canopy when you're spraying 20 gallons per acre? 
And just think about, okay, even a tenth of an inch of rain. If we get a tenth of an inch of rain, you will likely say, oh, that, that wasn't enough rain, right? Well, how much is a tenth of an inch? Darren, what's it amount to? 2,700 gallons per acre? That's right. 2,700 gallons per acre. And we think, oh, I don't know. I'm at 10 gallons, and I don't know if I can take the time to bump it up to 15 or 20 gallons. And yet we complain about a tenth of an inch of rain that we get because, nope, that's not enough rain. That's not enough water for anything. That's 2,700 gallons. It's a, it's a thousand so a hundred, times on more. On a hundred acre field. Yeah. <laughs> Look at what that is. Right. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, or a hundred times more. I mean, it just, my, my point here is this. You've got to bump your water when you're spraying fungicide or figure out a different way to get coverage when the plant is big. Now, when the plant's tiny, I'm not saying you have to bump your water. 10 gallons might be enough if you've got a tiny little plant out there, okay? But we just have to always be thinking about coverage and taking a look at that. So we're talking droplet size here today. We're going to be talking about water volumes. We're going to be talking about the also, type of spray nozzle, the, the angle. Yep, speed. I mean, there are a lot of things that go into this. Dust that might be flowing up. So... Spray coverage, huge with fungicide. It's pretty important with certain herbicides, not nearly as important with most, but you've got some products out there that are much more contact killers. I think about Gramoxone, Bucktrol, Bassagran. There are a number that are, hey, if you don't get pretty decent coverage, for that matter, even Liberty, it's not super systemic like Roundup, Dicamba, 2,4-D, those kind of herbicides are. Then we get to insecticide. There, it's usually not as big a deal. The coverage isn't typically as big a deal because the insects move, all right? Um, you don't find leaves that are literally moving themselves around <laughs> on the plant. It doesn't happen. So you, with insects, at least sometimes you can luck out, put the insecticide in the wrong place. The insect moves, and now it ends up in the right place, and you still get insect control. But yeah, I mean, for almost everything else, and even insects sometimes, the spray coverage thing can be enormous. Well, there are a lot of things that go into it, as we mentioned, when you started thinking about all the factors that could influence this. But it's certainly something that whenever I look at a field and a grower says, I've got a very bad problem out here, I'm really concerned about how we're going to get spray coverage. If we had a problem and whatever crop protection products were applied did not solve it, one of the first things that I'm curious about is let's look at spray coverage and see what we can determine. And one of the things that you can see even much longer after the spray application has been made is if there are spots on the leaves. For example, say you're using a burner product or a harsh additive, you can see some speckling on the leaves. And if you see, oh, well, we got speckling on the top leaves, but nothing underneath, we know spray coverage was the culprit. We're going to talk about spray coverage and how you can improve it on your farm on today's program. We're also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. 
Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG Soil Fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia, Slant, and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. back you're listening to ag phd radio broadcasting from the morton studio today yes we are back we're back well how about welcome back but anyway uh i i'm brian hefty along with my brother darren we are broadcasting from the morton studio today i'm i'm really excited for farming this year anxious to get out in the fields anxious to put the memories of 2019 behind us it was a rough year now i will admit we actually surprisingly did turn out pretty well on our farm harvest actually got done about on time 80 percent of our planting got done close to on time our yields weren't horrific but we did have some bad spots and it was a lot of work i mean a lot of work we we created some issues for ourselves with compaction and we're putting in a lot more tile. We had to do some tillage where we necessarily maybe necessarily didn't want to do it, but just a lot of things ended up happening last year. So I'm looking forward to moving on. And so our topic today is spray coverage. And we wanted to get to this now because there's probably, depending on where you farm, probably still a little bit of time before you start spraying. Even on our own farm, though, we're going to start soon. It's going to be in March from the way it looks to me right now. Our fields are pretty open. And when we like to start spraying is when the fields are still frozen, yet thawing in the afternoons. And that a lot of times works out quite well. So I would just encourage you, start taking a look at your sprayer, especially checking your spray nozzles, checking patterns, do all these kind of things. So when the day comes and you can roll, you aren't spending that day fixing because you know how it is. There are very few days where the wind's blowing in the right direction and it's relatively calm. It's warm enough to spray. You can get over the ground. You aren't busy with something else. So we, we got to take a look at all that and, and say, hey, we don't have a lot of time to spray. We got to make sure we're ready to go when the time comes. All right. Whenever we talk about spray coverage, we love to have our friend Nick Flights on with Pentair uh, to talk about some of the details and what's going on in that industry. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing very good today. And how are you? 
Well, I'm doing well. And when we talk about spray coverage, the first thing everybody wants to hear about is, okay, what do we have for nozzle selections? What's different? What's changing there? Obviously, there are some new traits out there with the Enlist E3 this year on a lot more acres. Extend Flex is just right around the corner. And of course, we've got fungicides and insecticides and all these things we want to put out there, but we need good coverage to make it happen. So if you were a farmer right now, Nick, and you're raising, say, corn and soybeans and wheat, what nozzles would you like to have and why? So, you know, with the, the introduction, like you said, the, the stack traits, extend flex, E3 and list, the spread, you know, we're seeing a lot more fungicide spraying going on. Um, obviously, that calls for, you know, higher coverage nozzle. Um, <clears throat> dual fan nozzles are very popular for those applications. You know, having two spray patterns uh, to Typically on a, you know, 20 to 30 degree incline helps get, uh, you know, coverage and canopy penetration, uh, kind of pattern going forward and going back. So we kind of get it both ways coming and going there. Um, it's also important, you know, there's this big, we've had a huge focus on drift reduction in the past few years with the dicamba uh, crop traits. Huge focus on drift reduction, but we've really left coverage out of the equation on that. So it's kind of important to kind of recalibrate. Uh, take stock of the nozzles that we're using. If we're using nozzles that are very focused on drift reduction, we've been using for dicamba in the past, we may need to reevaluate that uh, and look for nozzles that are going to give uh, a little finer droplet spectrum. So instead of an ultra-coarse droplet, want to be in that medium, coarse, and very coarse range for to promote better coverage. Um, nozzles like the um, High Pro um, 3D Guardian Air Twin, those are two very great high-coverage nozzle options. Going to use incline spray patterns to, to maximize coverage and canopy penetration. I sure like you that 3D nozzle, Nick. We've been using that uh, with fungicide applications, and the coverage has been great, and I've been moving product down a little bit further in the canopy. Uh, how about speed of application? This is one of the other things I see when our guys get running too fast in the field. We aren't quite getting down through that canopy as much as I'd like to. Yeah, and so there, there's a couple reasons for that. One, one is pressure. You know, as we increase our speed across the field, we have to have a corresponding increase in pressure to maintain our application volume. And so if we don't say we double our speed across the field, um, we have to quadruple our pressure to maintain that same output. Now, sometimes a little bit of increase in pressure is good because that can give us in a little bit finer droplet um, size that can help with coverage um, but if we get pressure too high there are diminishing returns there and we start creating more driftable fine droplets that can evaporate uh, in hotter drier conditions or drift off target you know in little windier days so there's that aspect we want to keep pressure in check we don't want to have that uh, too high speed and too high a pressure for that novel and then also you've got you know, as your, as your speed increases, there's a little bit of wind shearing that goes on. So if I'm driving, say, 18 miles or 20 miles an hour across a field, there's essentially, you know, at least, a, say, 20 mile per hour wind right as that nozzle um, or that spray is leaving the nozzle. So there's a little bit of a shearing effect where we can scrub off those finer droplets and they can get caught in the air rather than getting down into that crop canopy. So a more moderate pressure, a more moderate speed, and a mid-range droplet size um, kind of helps counteract those effects 
and get those droplets down into the canopy. Yeah, moderation with everything, right, Nick? Um, okay, the other question that we get is about the, you, you mentioned the ultra-low drift type nozzles, and we love them with with the Extend type products, the Dicambas and the 240s. It's worked great. And it seems like our spray pattern has been pretty good, even though the droplets are bigger. But we've had some complaints from farmers using different drift control additives about it altering their spray pattern. Do you see that being a big concern? And if so, how do you offset that? Uh, it certainly, you know, is a concern and something we have to be aware of. The adjuvant, particularly drift reduction adjuvant and nozzle interactions, are, are an interesting thing we've been looking into more. And it's a very specific nozzle by specific adjuvant um, case. So the, the best way to help combat that um, is if you can, if you have a resource, an agronomist, a nozzle guy, or an adjuvant guy that you talk to a lot, See if they have any experience with um, the specific nozzle and adjuvant choice you're looking for. Another way to help combat a bit against that, you know, pattern collapse and loss of coverage that is commonly seen um, with drift reduction adjuvants uh, is to try and up your pressure a little bit. Um, we typically see, though, the worst um, issues occurring from that at the lower ends of our pressure range. And if we have the ability to, to bump that pressure up, it tends to help um, guard against those issues occurring. Um, but yeah. it's, it's very nozzle and adjuvant specific. There's no great rhyme or reason to it that, that we can really, um, you know, put a finger on and say, hey, you know, avoid this completely. You're right on the money. Uh, upping the spray pressure has seemed to help somewhat with that. It seems like more times than not when you have trouble with that, it is, guys, on the lower end of those pressure ranges. How about on the burn down and the pre-emerge herbicide applications? What type of nozzle do you like for those? You know, that's typically the easiest nozzle, um, you know, recommendation is there. tends to be pretty uh, flexible with a lot of the chemistry we're using. The soil applied herbicides tend to be pretty flexible. Um, so most nozzles are a good choice. Um, you know, anything, um, you know, if you're putting down burn down products, um, you know, that, that uh, require a lot of coverage and contact chemistry, it's really good to have, uh, you know, a higher water volume with a finer, um, droplet, something like the 3D or Guardian Air Twin are pretty good for that. Uh, you really can't go wrong with uh, the ULD, the ultra low drift, um, you know, anything that's given us uh, kind of a coarse to extra coarse droplet size is, is really a good nozzle. Um, <clears throat> we do see a lot of guys using those, now. Nick. Uh, like like you say with that ULD, the, there's so much flexibility there in terms of what kind of day you can be out there on. If there's just a little bit of wind, it's no big deal when you've got that ultra coarse droplet. Uh, talking with Nick Flights with Pentair. Uh, Nick's been kind enough to help us put together the Ag PhD Spray Tips Guide. It's a free download. You can type in the products that you're going to spray, and it'll have a uh, recommendation from Nick as to which nozzle would be best for your application and how to use that to get the maximum productivity. Nick, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy 2 Save 3 are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. The last thing you want after harvesting your grain is to spoil it before it goes to market. The Grain Temp Guard from Farm Shop MFG is a low-cost bin monitoring solution that tracks temperature and humidity and alerts you when conditions exceed safe thresholds. Visit farmshopmfg.com. We started utilizing the dual react system this year. You can adjust your speed and it automatically adjusts your sprayer tips. So you can slow down and you aren't building up huge droplets or you can speed up and you're not throwing a mist that's drifting. Hypro, helping you spray better. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our topic is spray coverage, but if you have an agronomic question, we'd love to help you out. You can give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Jim Reese with us right now at Precision Labs. Jim, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. We're talking about spray coverage today, and Brian brought up a problem that a lot of farmers were fighting last year, disease control. And fungicide prices have really crashed this year, so they're a lot less expensive in many cases. And we're hearing from quite a few farmers around the country, I'm going to use more fungicide applications than I have in the past, or maybe I'm going to get back to using a fungicide I haven't because it's been too expensive. And 
we were talking about how do we get great coverage with that, and we don't hear enough talk about adjuvants for fungicide use. What should growers be aware of there, Jim? Oh, gosh. Um, well, well, coverage is always important, right? Um, fungicides tend to be more on the oil-soluble side. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean we should add an oil adjuvant because that may cause some phyto issues, but there are some surfactant structures that can uh, do a lot better job getting those oil-soluble fungicides in the plant without the risk of crop safety. So I think about you know choosing something more than just an ordinary surfactant um, that's actually designed for fungicides to optimize their performance. And generally, when we think of optimizing performance, we think about you know more bushels in the bin at the end of the day. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, Brian made a comment, too, about just fungicides. They really aren't that good. I mean, they don't move around in the plant a whole lot, so that spray coverage is just absolutely critical. And when we talk about adjuvants, I know we always get people nervous about, especially in corn, that there's a brief time before tassel that you shouldn't be using any adjuvants because it's pushing the product into the plant so fast. At least that's what we hear. Is that accurate, Jim? And and if so, when do you recommend staying out of there, and what do you recommend that we do? Yeah, so it's really that, that critical point between V8 and V16 probably that we really absolutely have to stay out uh, for most ordinary surfactant structures. I think that's the exciting part of uh, development on our in our end of the industry is looking for surfactant structures that would be safe so that we could you know safely apply fungicides maybe say just pre-tassel um, especially if guys want to apply an insecticide at the same time um, they tend to want to be out there just just pre-tassel um, there are some some recent developments now in fungicide uh, or in, excuse me in management technology that would allow us to do that without the risk of uh, arrested ear syndrome when we think about some of the other things going on out there, we're getting a lot of questions about new traits and, and certainly the extend trait in soybeans with dicamba applications has been a big one in terms of how do we apply this product, how do we get it into the plant, and how do we keep it where it's going. What are you seeing for new developments with extend? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I think it's always going to be that balancing act between coverage and off-target, you know, and managing off-target movement. But I think we're, we're pretty there. The great thing about Extend technology and Dicamba in general is it just doesn't take a lot of drops uh, per on the leaf surface to do a great job in terms of control. So that means we can make bigger, fatter droplets. I'm not trying to fat shame droplets, but, uh, you know, we can make bigger droplets that hit the target, and we don't need as much coverage with Dicamba as we do, say, something like Enlist. I think it gets a little trickier with the Enlist technology. Um, we can't make as big, you know, droplets are nearly as big. So it's a little bit more compromised there in terms of managing physical drift. Yeah, it is going to be a switch for growers. I know there are a number of guys going in list. Is there any piece of information you'd give to them? Well, uh, certainly I'd, I'd say ammonium sulfate, you know, is, is going to be one of the drivers for uh, maximizing biological efficacy. So you're still going to want to add uh, ammonium sulfate to that tank. Water conditioning agents aren't generally quite as good with uh, the 2,4-D technology. And you got to be careful on your nozzle selection. Um, and you can still benefit from deposition, you know, improving deposition on the target. So how do I keep 
more of my spray solution on my field and you know doing you know doing what's supposed to do where I'm spending the money for it to do that kill weeds um, so you might not necessarily always think about you know drift control as much as deposition and they are slightly different creatures Jim, you've been in this business a long time, and I'm not saying that you're old or anything. I'm just saying you got a lot of experience that we'd love to draw on here. And when you think about all things you've learned about adjuvant technology, what are some of the things that you wish that farmers better understood and you know that it would help them on their farms? Great question. So I think I wish I would I wish I would have known earlier that you know big drops are great for drift control little drop um, but bad for weed control and and small drops are bad for drift control let's see let me get this right big drops are great for drift control but bad for weed control small drops are generally better for weed control but bad for drift control just understanding that's a balancing act there i think the relative to adjuvants um there's some real big differences um in adjuvants you know and uh unfortunately because it's not a widely regulated um industry there's some really good things going on in the edge of an industry and there's some really not so good things um cpda certification is something that probably uh, is a good way to start narrowing down um and distinguishing products that are probably closer to uh um actually being able to do what they claim they do right and versus not. So CPDA certification is something I would look for on an adjuvant. And I'd make sure that the adjuncts I'm using are using real definitions and real terms to describe their activity. When you start seeing products described as mega inducers or, you know, uh, activator maximizers or some crazy thing like that, it's almost assured they're not able to do that. Um, in fact, those aren't even real terms. Those are just made up terms. So a little bit of buyer beware. Make sure you're dealing with a reputable source for your supply. Well, it's, it's tough, too, because so often we see adjuvants getting sold on price and growers saying, well, I'm going to take that crop oil or that non-antic surfactant or whatever the product may be just because it's cheaper than others. And in some cases, it might be half price. And for me, that, that really raises up the hair on the back of my neck. When I see something selling super cheap, I'm a little bit nervous about quality right there. Yeah, I mean, when does it ever work out in your life that you bought something of high quality for half the price? Let me know because I went in on that deal. It just doesn't happen, right? I mean, nope, it seems like every right. time I tried to, yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough. There's a lot of differences out there. And Brandon and I, a lot of times, bring it back to, well, do you need a methylated seed oil, a crop oil, concentrate, or a non-antic surfactant as you're, as you're working with products? Is there something we're missing there if you just try and keep it simple with a lot of the herbicide applications? I really do think, uh, you know, the high surfactant oil concentrates, uh, especially based on MSO. You know, so the high spec in MSO, it, it, I don't have to handle as much as a full-blown MSO. I can usually hire, you know, handle half the use rate. I think that's a, uh, one of the bigger innovations over the last 15 years, and that technology is certain, certainly proven out. I think, you know, one of the biggest things that, that um, I think guys should know is that when it comes to surfactants, right, we always think about percent B to V. You know, I'm going to put in a quart per hundred, right? That's 0.25% right. B to V. As opposed to oils, really should be recommended on a rate per acre basis. 
And if you want to make sure you're going to get great performance, even if your spray volumes creep down, make sure that you maintain your oil rates on a rate per acre basis. So for uh, full-blown MSOs, that should be 20 to 24 ounces per acre. If you're using high surfactant MSO, you could be in that 10 to 12 ounces per acre. And you'll, that way you'll get good performance whether you're spraying at 15 gallons of water or you're spraying at 10 or 8, as long as you keep that oil rate on a uh, rate per acre basis. When you start looking at a percent V to V on oils, um, you can try to save yourself money really fast by reducing your spray volume per acre, but you're also reducing the oil, and that's when you're going to start having cons- uh, consistency problems in terms of performance. Fantastic tip. We're talking with Jim Reese with Precision Labs. Jim, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. I appreciate your time, guys. You know, when you think about that, as you change your spray volumes, and Brian was talking about, hey, there's going to be some applications we talk about. You're going to need more volume out there to get the job done. Definitely going to need to vary the rate to the oil or surfactant that you're using as well. Talk more about spray coverage coming up right after this. Stay tuned. When looking for someone to help with your risk management, a key component to look for is patience. Patience to bring you along in the process at your own speed. Patience to learn about your operation. And patience to not only discuss what strategies may be effective for your plan, but why they would be effective. That's the strength of Grain PhD. I'm Darren Hefty. When you're ready to become more engaged in your risk management, Grain PhD can assist you with that process. Visit grainphd.com to learn more. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. (laughs) Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. White mold, sudden death syndrome, root rot. If you raise soybeans, it may seem like you have all the cards stacked against you when it comes to disease. But did you know there is a new cost-effective seed treatment which can help prevent all three? Heads Up Seed Treatment offers a new proactive approach for dealing with fungal and bacterial diseases. Compatible with other seed treatments, hedge your bet against disease this spring. Ask your dealer for Heads Up today. To locate a dealer, visit headsupst.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. You know a healthy crop is required for your best results. Simply put, balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid Fertilizers have the research, technology, and products to deliver those results. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you with your fertility decisions. AgriLiquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit agriliquid.com to find a dealer near you. 
Maximize your flexibility and control the toughest broadleaf weeds and grasses with Anthem Max herbicide from FMC. With a wide application window in both corn and soybeans, and with an easy-to-tank mix formulation, Anthem Max is ready to go when you are. Visit fmcagus.com or ask your FMC retailer about Anthem Max herbicide. Always read and follow all label directions and precautions for use. FMC and Anthem are trademarks of FMC Corporation or an affiliate. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. We are broadcasting live from the Morton studio today. If you've got a question for us, just call in at 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. You can also find us on Twitter, AgPhD Media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. In just a couple minutes, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. Before we do, just to wrap up this spray coverage conversation, I, I would just say not all products are created equal. Some of them need way better coverage, which means you should probably switch nozzles, go to smaller droplet size, go to a smaller droplet size, and boost your water a little bit. Now, we've got other products where you've got to have a very big droplet size. Dicamba is a great example. So you're probably going to want, well, you are going to want a different spray nozzle in that case. We would just encourage you, take the rest of this winter here, learn a little bit more about the products you are going to spray, or at least even considering spraying, get your sprayer set up, and now you're in pretty good shape. There are still a lot of educational opportunities yet this winter to learn more about all these things. I know there are a lot of dicamba trainings going on, many of the sprayer companies putting on seminars, agronomists out there you can talk to. So lots of opportunity for you to get more information. And the reason why we bring all this up is this. Whatever you do, whatever you invest in on the farm, we're just here to try to help you maximize that ROI. And you can spend the exact same number of dollars on your herbicide, your fungicide, in some cases even your insecticide, and you can get vastly different results. Well, we don't want that. We don't want you to have the low end of the spectrum where you go, oh man, this stuff didn't work. We'd like to help you get it to work. And the whole reason why we wanted to take our entire show today talking about spray coverage is just so hopefully we we have reiterated this point to you enough so you go okay i get it guys i i know spray coverage is super important i'll do the best i can and even think about roundup we've had this talk for years there are a lot of people that say roundup doesn't work today yet i still have many growers that come to me and say I don't know what everybody's talking about with all these resistant weeds. I'm spraying when the weather's good. I'm spraying and the weeds are very small. I'm spraying to get maximum spray coverage without using ridiculous amounts of water because you can't do that with Roundup. you got to have concentrated droplets. And they're telling me, I have no problems. Roundup's working just fine. So a lot of times I, I, I just believe that we cause our own problems out there because we don't have good spray coverage and we blame the $10 herbicide or some in some cases a $20 herbicide or the $5 fungicide or $10 or $20 whatever you're spending you blame that instead of hey let's look at what we're doing what we can control with that sprayer the better job we do there the more timely we are the better results we're going to get all right let's get to the ag phd mailbag it's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. 
Got a series of questions here from Al in Southwest wait, Ontario. Wait, so, wait, you, we we cut you off there, Darren. Just start start again. What'd you say? I said I've got a series of questions from Al <laughs> in Southwest Ontario, and he said my soil ranges from a CEC of seven to seventeen. Just to set the stage here for these questions. He said, I'm looking forward to trying to ban some fertilizer. I would like to go six to eight inches deep. I'm trying to get my fertility levels higher in that next six inches of soil. I would like to be closer to where my root system is going to grow. However, I don't have RTK, only WAS on GPS. But I was hoping to try reworking an old planter with fertilizer boxes and coulters and then trying to plant over these bands in a separate pass. Can I do this successfully if I'm off to the side just a little bit here and there? How big a deal is that? Would I be burning roots? Yep. Okay, so we started doing strip till on our farm around 15 years ago. We have some rolling hills. We farm in the contour some. We even have a few terraces, not many left, but we have a few. So I was very concerned about this exact thing. Now, we had RTK at the time. I mean, we had just gotten it. And you have to have that, by the way, for tiling. You have to have that, in my opinion, if you're going to strip till and follow very closely. But anyway, we ran some tests to try to find out, well, how close can we be? Because we're worried about the the drag in the field and everything, you know, with the the machines, whether it's the planter or the strip till machine going behind the tractor and all this kind of thing. So... Anyway, here was our study. We went right over that band. We went five inches over to the side, so we're still barely on the edge of the band, of the the berm that we had made. I mean, granted, we're right on the edge of it, but we're out outside a little ways. And then we went directly in between the rows, so literally 15 inches off on a 30-inch row. What we found is if we were, uh, and this is uh, elementary, you're going to say, yeah, obviously you're going to get the best yield when you follow right over the top, and we did. But it was very, very close when we were within five inches. And in fact, to the point where I'd say it really wasn't too bad. Um, the, the the fertility piece is fine. The piece that's not fine is if you are right on that edge, it's not going to be quite as warm there. So I would like to be further into that band, further into that berm, and then we're going to be in better shape for emergence. But in terms of finding the fertility, no big issue. When we were 15 inches over, then yes, we lost yield. And yes, it was a problem. It wasn't major, but it was still a problem. And the interesting thing is we dug root pits that year. And you could see the roots found the band. They would go to each side. It was very interesting in those root pits because the the roots ended up getting to the fertility and what we always say about fertility is if there is ample fertility in an area, then the roots proliferate there. So there was a big buildup of roots right where we had put the fertilizer. Granted, it was 15 inches away, but they found it eventually. But that time it takes, that's where we feel like we lost the yield. So I realize I'm giving you a long answer here. There's no exact thing. I would just tell you the closer you can be, the better off you are. And we would encourage you invest the money into RTK because I believe if you're going to do strip till long term, uh, you're going to be happier. Now, when we talk about putting fertilizer on with the planter, then I, I'm fine with that. It's just 
you got to keep that dry fertilizer a little ways away. And like you were talking about, six to eight inches away, um, if I was going to do that with a planter, let's say, fine. I'm not too worried about it. I do, however, worry about putting way too much to burn roots off. We haven't seen a big problem with potash when we're putting on some some fairly decent rates. Uh, but, it, I mean, even that can happen. We do worry a lot about nitrogen, uh, potash to some degree, phosphorus to some degree. So, I mean, there there are concerns there for us. And I would just say, dig roots and see how that looks. But the more rain you get and the heavier your soil, the less chance you have for root burning. But to be six to eight inches deep, to me, sounds like a pretty good idea. When we start talking as low as a seven CEC, let's just keep in mind though, that can't hold a lot of nitrogen and sulfate and boron leach to some degree as well. So I worry about those a little bit, but I mainly worry about your nitrogen. So if you're putting on a great big slug of nitrogen, eight inches deep in a seven CEC soil, that could potentially be problematic. We're going to tell you 70 pounds or less. So be real careful about your nitrogen. Anything else to add there, right. Darren? Oh, yeah. he's No. Oh. But he's got several other questions. Oh. <laughs> and he said, how much okay. P and K could you drop in a, in a trench, he says, without hurting your roots? Keep in mind, I've got some ground as low as a 7 CEC, some as high as right. a 17. Right. He's got several other questions too, Brian. So we'll take uh, yeah, a look. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, all these things are relative. So if you say to me, uh, could I throw 100 pounds of map out there, would I feel confident in that? I think I would, even in that case. We have a little bit of ground that's down to maybe a not 8 or 9 CEC. We've done it. I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. All right. Any insight into a cheaper way of banding than an old planter conversion? Probably not. That's probably about as cheap as you can do. Uh, you could try adding, you know, two by two, that kind of stuff. But uh, to get deep like that, that might be the best way to do it. He said we also, uh, the last question he had, well, a couple questions. He said, Base saturation, we've talked about how to calculate how much K you need to apply to get up to a base saturation of 4. I'm curious uh, if you were trying to convert phosphorus from a 20 part per million to 40 part per million test or manganese from well, a 4 to easy. a 30, uh, how would you figure out those? And yeah. we can we can hit that right after the break. I can hit it in, in two seconds. Just take parts per million times 2. So if you are 20 parts per million short of something, then you need 40 pounds of actual. That's all you need to do. And then obviously it depends on what your fertilizer active ingredient is, but I'm talking actual pounds. That's what you do. We'll get right back to more of your questions after this. Stay tuned. We know balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid has the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. Plus the expertise to give you a recommendation based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. AgriLiquid has the phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrient products necessary to deliver the best results from a solid fertility program. Visit agriliquid.com to find a dealer near you. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. Our exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. 
When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup ready-to-extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. How much yield and profit did you lose the moment you put your seed in the ground? A poor stand at planting keeps your crops from reaching their yield potential, and closing the seed trench behind the planter is essential to establishing a good crop stand. The Germinator Closing Wheel from FarmShop MFG is here to give your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Act now to receive an early order rebate plus free shipping. Get ready for spring planting with the Germinator Closing Wheel. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. If you have an agronomic question for us, you can give us a call at 844 44AGPHD or you can send us an email radio at agphd.com. Got one from Al in Southwest Ontario. We, we had a few, uh, it's a multi part question. Last one, Brian, he said, here you talk about getting corn out of the ground 20% faster. I'm wondering about soybeans and what system you use to push yep. emergence if you're seeing similar gains. There. Absolutely. Uh, we put 36 seed treatments on the soybeans that we plant on our farm. I would highly encourage that. It's a lot of the biologicals, or as we call them, natural products that give us better emergence, but we're also using four fungicides, using insecticide, using inoculant. All these things absolutely help. We get better stands. We get faster emergence. We end up overall with better yields because we're doing the seed treatment thing. Seed treatment, there's no possible chance in the world that I'm cutting that on soybeans, just like I would tell you the same thing when we talk corn. I mean, imagine planting corn in this day and age without seed treatment. Are you crazy? It's the same thing with soybeans. So, I mean, soybean seed treatment is unbelievably important, but I'm not saying every seed treatment is fine. We're spending roughly 15 bucks to get the seed treatment that we do, and we're getting 36 things on there. A lot of companies are only charge or are charging you similar money and you're only getting four to six things on that seed. So look for more for your same dollar because once you start getting all those extra components, that's where you're going to see a lot of the extra gains. All right. Thanks for the questions, Al. Really appreciate that. 
got a question from Kevin in Minnesota. He said he'd been talking about phosphorus and shooting for a 10 to 1 or even 8 to 1 ratio between phosphorus and zinc on your farm. Yep. Wondering, are you using a P1 Bray? Are you yep. using an Olsen or a P2? Using a P1. What do you do? Using a P1, comparing that to the zinc. But I would say that it's really the same thing with the Olsen test too. We need available phosphorus. Now, this week, we're gonna, Darren and I are going to be speaking down to Commodity Classic, and that is our topic, is figuring things out for yourself on your own farm with your own data. So I would just encourage you, take a look at your yield maps and compare those to your soil tests in those exact spots. And when you do, and you have your own data, you'll be able to see, oh, okay, I get the ratio into this range. That's where I'm maximizing yield. It's super interesting. We've been doing that on our farm for a couple of years. And now all of a sudden, I need to know nothing about soil fertility. I just need to look at my own data on my own farm that says, hey, dummy, get your phosphorus levels up, for example. That's what I'm just telling you. That was my mistake last year. We didn't have high enough phosphorus levels. We had plenty of zinc out there. didn't have phosphorus. Well, when we had our zinc to phosphorus ratio or phosphorus to zinc ratio out of whack, guess what happened to yield? Went down on average. So by having our own data on our own farm, you don't need to listen to any expert that's somewhere else in the world or anything else. You just look at your own farm stuff and you go, oh, okay, now I got it. I'm going to spend more on this. And it looks to me like that pays. And when we do those things and follow what our own data says, we're usually in great shape. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, get, got a series of soil tests that we received from Don in Louisiana. And he said, I've got some soil samples here for you guys. I'm growing Bermuda grass and I'm trying to build up my soil. I am using liquid 28% nitrogen this year. I will apply 300 pounds of actual N in split application with slow N nitrogen stabilizer in it. On my soil tests, they recommended that I split apply. They recommended I apply so much up front and so much between each cutting and yep, so forth. Yep, good idea because it's light soil, 5 to 10 CEC. Go ahead. Look at the uh, – this is all he asked was just about uh, what our thoughts were about building that soil up. There are a couple of tests in there, Brian, like soil test number 2, number 4. I mean, look at the potassium parts per million. It's in the less than 20 parts per million of potassium. Yeah. There, there's some real room here for, for growth, and I think for you'll sure. see some response too in those light soils definitely one of the other things that's concerning to me is the amount of sodium that's out there and so i realize when it's a light soil you don't think about improving your drainage but what i worry about is if your sodium levels are on the rise you don't want to end up with the sodic soil because that's going to kill your soil so we were just talking earlier in the show about people in Arizona who are putting drain tile in and having great success with that to help flush the salts out. Now, how you create sodium, how do you make sodium into a salt? Usually, one of the easiest ways is to throw more sulfur out there. And that's another thing that are, I mean, that's really low on your test. So that crop, I can promise you, needs nitrogen, but it needs sulfur along with that. Every time you're putting nitrogen out, you should be putting some sulfur out. And then, yes, you got to build the potassium levels. Now, in heavy soils, we talk about, boy, if it's a grass and you're going to put potassium on the surface of the soil, by the time it gets down to where a lot of the roots are in the 4 to 8-inch range, it might take 10 years. It's not going to take 10 years. It's probably going to take one if that even, because of your light soil and the amount of rainfall you get compared to us here in the north. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. I just start getting more potassium out there, nitrogen and sulfur, and you're going to be in a lot better shape. 
All right. Uh, thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Uh, I got one here from Sam in Minnesota, and he said, uh, I'm working with a farmer who is considering switching from 30-inch rows in corn down to 20 or 22-inch rows. Most farmers in our area are running 30s, but this particular farmer thinks he could capture more yield this way and mm, has found a maybe. good deal on a new planter. Sure. Wondering if you think narrow row spacings are the answer to higher yields in southern Minnesota. No, I don't. Um, you can do it, but for one thing, you got to pick a more disease-tolerant hybrid. That's the number one key. Number two, if he wants to bump planting populations, because a lot of times guys, when they go to 20-inch rows, they bump their planting population. If he doesn't have his potassium levels in that 4- to 8-inch range, and quite frankly, in southern Minnesota, you have the, the opportunity for big-time yield. I'm talking 300-plus. A lot of that soil is fantastic, and the growing season is great for corn. So I'd probably be in the 6- to 7% base saturation K range, unless he's there he might end up with a disaster going to 20-inch rows because he's going to make changes and not get the right hybrid, not get the right population, and now he's going to be sad that he made that change. So I'm not saying don't go 20-inch rows. You can absolutely do it because you'll get better weed control for sure. You'll trap more moisture for sure. You will be able to capture more sunlight if you have the right hybrid and the, the right population so basically the right fertility that's got to be underneath that first. So I'd really look hard at those soil tests and, you know, kind of ease my way into it a little bit other than making, rather than making great big changes. And now all of a sudden you end up with a real problem. I will say too, 30 inch rows, the world record guys, that's where they're at. A lot of super high yield guys, that's where they're at. I don't believe you have to go 20 inch rows. I do think you'll see, you can see some advantage as long as you make these other changes. Hey, make sure you get to that one question, Darren, about uh, the Tellar and that kind of stuff that we were talking about okay. a little earlier. All right. I uh, got a question. For, first of all, thanks for the question, uh, Sam. Really appreciate that. Got a question from Chemo in Hawaii. And Chemo said, can you offer any general information on soil and water testing for glyphosate, which would be Roundup, uh, Triclopyr, which would be Garlon or, or Remedy Ultra, and chlorosulfuron, which would be Tellar or the old Glean product. Uh, samples will be collected on pasture land. Wondering if you have any collection procedures for soil samples or would a composite type uh, suffice? And what might be the behavioral persistence, residual mobility characteristics of these uh, to any significant degree in soil and water. Yep, when glyphosate hits water or hits soil, I should say it's done, so you don't even have to worry about it. With the uh, the triclopyr, that has very little soil residual, so that's the reason why a lot of people use that to con still control brush, as opposed to like Tordon, Milestone, Ally. Those products get used for brush quite often, but they have just tremendous residual. Remedy Ultra only has a little bit. And then finally, the Tellar Glean, I mean, that active ingredient. Yeah, it's got a little bit of residual, but... The half-life uh, on that's four to six weeks, yeah. the chlorosulfuron. Yes. So it's not super long-lived out there, but... Right. So, and especially you got to think about your climate. You're warm, you got, well, I don't know, rainfall or not. There are areas in Hawaii that have almost no rainfall and some that have a lot. So I don't know what we're dealing with there, but I know you're warm and that really helps. Uh, so you can certainly send soil in and get it tested. In most cases, you're going to find nothing. So that's why even like that Tellar or Glean is going to say, 
do a, a field bioassay. That basically means try growing the crop out there, or pull soil yeah, so into inside. You could grow a inside. mustard or a canola out there and see if you have any chlorosulfuron. It would right. kill those things. Or with the triclopyr, you could grow some beans, pretty much beans or yep. peas. Right. If you grew them out in the field, it would kill them. And Roundup doesn't have soil activity, so I don't know that a bioassay would be really good there. <laughs> nope. Uh, yeah, it's, it's done when it hits the soil. All right. Thanks for the questions, Chemo. Really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening today. Really appreciate it. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.